Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Oderico, and joining me is LPJ professional Cindy Miller, and we are your hosts. We're broadcasting live every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the blogtalkradio.com network, bringing you some of the best golfers, teacher professionals, and entrepreneurs helping to elevate women's golf. We're so glad you decided to join us this morning, so grab your coffee and let's get started. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside is none other than Legends Tour player and LPJ professional Cindy Miller, and we are your hosts here on the Women of Golf Show. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing fantastic for another Tuesday morning, and uh, I'm super, super excited this morning for a couple of reasons. It's always good to be on air with you, Cindy, first and foremost. But we are going to once again feature a winner off of the Symmetra Tour this past weekend, the Firekeepers Casino Hotel Championship winner. Uh, Rajin Liu is going to be joining us here in just a, a second or two. And, she, of course, she's been on the show uh, a few times in the past, uh, particularly back in 2018 when she won uh, three events uh, on the Symmetra Tour. So this makes number four for her. Uh, so she's uh, been on the show before. And, you know, as most of the listeners know, there's been a little bit of hiatus with the tours going on uh, due to the pandemic. And uh, they've just fired back up uh, this past weekend uh, up in Michigan for their first event back, uh, sort of a relaunch, if you will. So we're very, very excited about that. And then a little bit later on, you and I, Cindy, are going to talk about some of the common problems that every golfer makes uh, as we once again enter the no BS zone. So, uh, let's welcome our very special guest this morning, Cindy Rajin Liu. Good morning. Good morning, Pat and Cindy. How are you? We're doing We're great. Doing well. Congratulations. Thank yeah. You. You, you got to be pretty excited. Oh, yeah, especially after, you know, this long, long off season. I'm really excited to be back to the winter circle. Yeah, what a... What a great way to to come out uh, as a, as I said, sort of a relaunch of the uh, the tour. Uh, you know, has been sort of in lockdown, if you will, for the last several months, as as many of the tours have uh, due to the pandemic. So, uh, what a great way to end. So, uh, again, congratulations from from both of us. Um, now, this is this particular event is a first time for you though i know you've played in it before but this is wasn't one of the ones that you won before back in 2018 was it uh uh, this event is um the one i played before but i didn't perform uh really well on the 2018 i actually missed the cut in this event Ooh. okay so this is this adds a little extra sweetness to the to the victory then by not uh, doing as well in the past, you came back and sort of uh, tackled the monster, if you will, and came out uh, on top as the winner. So, uh, again, congratulations. Let me ask you one quick question, and, Cindy, I'm going to throw it over to you. Uh, as I mentioned, obviously, and, and as everybody knows by now, we've we've been under this sort of uh, semi-lockdown, whatever you want to call it, uh, over the last several months. Two things. 
Number one, what have you done to keep your game sharp since you haven't really been able to play as much uh, or maybe even at all uh, to keep your game sharp uh, for when you were able to get back out and play? And the second part of it is what did you do personally to keep yourself from from kind of getting bored a little bit? Because I'm sure it was very difficult kind of not being able to get out and do a lot of the things that maybe you normally would do uh, under normal circumstances. So first one, what did you do to keep your game sharp? And the second one, what did you do to keep yourself busy? Well, um, uh, for me, I kind of need to answer this question together because it's a little bit special for me. Um, so during last year's uh, Q series, I actually find out I have injury on my right foot, on my uh, big toe joint, sesamoid bone. Um, and we did the check on, uh, I believe, in February this year. So we did the MRI, and it turns out it either be a bone bruise or it might be a microfracture. Since the bone is too small, we can't really tell. There's only, like, a little white spot on the bone. So um, uh, during March, there's one semester tour, and uh, after that, I kind of feel a little bit worse to the injury because, you know, we walk three rounds. And uh, we decided, mm-hmm. me and doctor together, decided to take two months off just to heal the bone. You know, it's a great time because we don't have anything to do. And uh, right. I basically just sit at home and watching Netflix and, uh, you know, <laughs> online shopping for two months straight doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I love it. I love and it. And <laughs> also, you know, Orlando is uh, really, really hot during summer. And uh, once mm-hmm. I'm done with this two months and once I start to re-practicing, um, because the weather is extremely hot, I kind of took things really slow, one or two hours every day until um, the week before I come to the tournament site. And uh, during the tournament site, because that's my first day walking 18 holes, um, you know, also I'm just kind of taking things slow. I'm playing nine holes practice round and just keep adding my hours until the first day hits. And I am extremely tired after first round because, you know, that was my first time walking 18 since March. And um, I basically did nothing other than rest myself during the lockdown. Wow. Wow. Well, you did probably two of your favorite things. You got to watch some great programming, and you got to do a little bit of shopping. Uh, So (laughs) on a good note, though, you you won a tournament, so you were able to replenish some of your your uh, your money for all the shopping you did for the last couple of months. So that's a good thing. It's good <laughs> to come back and get a win to to make up for that. Cindy, go ahead. So how's your foot? So um, for now, it's still hurting me, but I think I can push through this season. And at the moment, because it's not getting better anymore, the only option is to do the surgery. To thinking about take the bone out. But um, since I'm from Asia, um, I'm, I want to go back home to China at the end of the year to try some Eastern medicine, you know, some acupuncture and then also herbal to see if that's going to help because, you know, surgery is all, always the last option. So I, I want to try everything before we do that. Awesome. Awesome. Now, have you been here the whole time? So you were not in China since uh, January? So I Yes, I came back to U.S. January, and then I stay in Orlando since then. 
Oh, that's good. Because you made, can the, if someone's in China now, can they get back here or are they restricted? Uh, we can get back here. And also I have a, I have a, a green card, so it's not a problem for me anyway. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Awesome. So how, why did you play so well? I mean, I want to ask that question, too, because, you know, I basically didn't do anything else. But, like, um, my short game has been really good the last three days, you know, um, especially my putter. I just uh, – I'm really surprised how many putt it went in. And uh, I think just because I don't have any expectation coming out of this um, injury, I was extremely relaxed during my first and second round. So I really don't – um, I would say I really don't care how how I play, and I think that kind of took a lot of pressure from me, and just keep aiming at the flag instead of always, you know, think about should I go aggressive or should I lay up. I'm just always go at the pin, and I think that gives me a lot of birdie chance. Now, let me ask you this. Do you still have status on the LPGA Tour? Yes. So I am actually in Toledo right now preparing for the drive-on. Oh, wow. Awesome. So you're going to play both tours wherever there's a break? Yes. Smart girl. Let me ask you this. If you were going to tell a young girl who is playing college golf, maybe, or aspires to play college golf, who's in a slump, but they're really working hard on their game, what would you tell them? Well, um, I I would love to tell them, um, you know, golf is a sport that we have, like, a long career. So um, just try your best and don't give up because you're always going to have a chance, no matter if you are 18, 20, 30, or even 40 years old. And uh, just keep trying and never give up. Good, even if you're 60. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead, Ted. Raisin, let me ask you. Uh, let, well, actually, let me put you something in perspective first um, so the listeners get an idea. You know, as you just mentioned, you, you've been off, uh, number one, due to a, an injury, but obviously um, this pandemic has, has sort of kept things at bay. But I want to put things in perspective because here you've come back to the first event on Symmetra uh, since March, and your first two rounds, you shot 66 out of the gate and then finished up with a 71 to finish 13 under. Given the fact from what you said earlier that you really, obviously partially because of the heat and injury, you weren't spending as much maybe practice time, how do you equate, how do you sort of wrap your mind around the fact that you shot two incredibly low rounds, actually three low rounds, but two particularly low rounds, for the first tournament coming back, how do you equate that? How do you wrap your mind around being able to do that with, with such a long layoff? Well, you know, for me, I, I'm always being the person that's not, you know, spending hours on the driving range. So, um, you know, I am a little surprised, but not like huge surprise. The fact I played really good the first two rounds, but also, you know, since I'm being playing so good and now I just, realize you know uh it's not necessary how many hours you put in on the range uh, in order mm-hmm. for you to play really good 
is the quality you put in. Right. You know, even you only practice well one hour a yep. day. As long as you're mm-hmm. focused and you're doing the right thing, I think that will give you a lot of good impact. You know, uh, I think one hour of quality practice is better than five hours of, you know, um, you don't even know what you're doing. You're you're just standing there hitting balls. So I think that's the key well, I learned. Just you know, put my mind into the practice. Yeah, well said. That that's a an excellent point because so often, you know, Cindy and I, of course, both teach, and so often we hear students, you know, I'm out there on the range all the time. I'm you know I'm hitting balls. I'm hitting balls, and I don't seem to get any better. But the truth of the matter is, unlike what you just said they're not practicing with a purpose. They just go out there and they're hitting balls and they're not really, they don't have a game plan in their, in their practice regime. So obviously when you go out to the practice tee or out uh, on the course to, to, to practice your game, you're going out there with specific purpose and or uh, agenda uh, each and every time, correct? Yes. And uh, there's another thing I want to mention that's really important for me during practice. It's uh, sometimes, you know, when I, during the practice when I don't feel 100% or let's say I'm on the uh, practice screen and I have a putt that I'm struggling with over and over and one step makes me really frustrated, um, I will walk away. I wouldn't stand in there and just Mm -hmm. keep trying. Because the only thing that's going to do to me is make me frustrating and I'm going to be negative. So I'm going to walk away. And I will come back either this afternoon or the next day to trying again. And that's going to give me a different perspective to the situation instead of just frustrating me over and over. So I think that's a really important key during practicing is uh, once you feel not good about yourself, about your game, um, I don't want to be, you know, keep trying and trying on the same day. Sometimes it's not going to give me a good result. Mm -hmm. That's true. And I I remember years ago uh, being at one of the men's tour events and listening to an interview, and the player um, that was being interviewed escapes me at the moment, but here's essentially what they said. They said when they go out and practice, essentially the same thing as what you just said. If they're not, you know, if their putting isn't 100% or they're struggling with a certain area, they'll actually walk away. But they also do the opposite. If they get out there and, and all cylinders, if you will, for lack of a better term, are all firing and everything's doing well, they'll also walk away they'll say you know what everything's looking tight everything's looking good i don't need to spend another hour or two out here everything's working the way i'm happy with what i'm doing and they'll actually walk away do you do that as well if everything's going well and you're really out there practicing and things just seem to be falling into place do you also cut things a little bit short sometimes too just to not overdo it yeah, so um, I basically, my routine of practicing, I just go over from, uh, like, my 58 all the way to my driver, and I will play, like, 10 to 15 balls for each club, and if I feel really good, I can, I will skip some clubs for sure, because if you're doing really good, sometimes uh, practicing a lot will kind of mess, mess it up, and I always think if right. you're practicing good, why you put more time into it, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I can kind of focus on something, other things, you know, maybe my short game needs some work. I can put more time on my short game. So, um, you know, right. and I am also one of the person that I cannot concentrate for too long. So, anyway, I'm not going to put too much time on my practice. So, uh, Well, and, and that's, that makes a lot of sense, too, because the other thing is if, if everything is going well, 
but you keep on practicing and you keep on spending more time, then you get to the point where you start getting tired and then things start to, to not go, go well. And then the next thing you know, what was started off to be a really good practice routine uh, or practice session suddenly becomes a bad one because you've exhausted yourself or you've overdone it. Uh, and that could be detrimental to your play as well. Um, I just have one more quick question. This is sort of non-golf related. Um, and then I'll uh, pass it back for Cindy. I saw from some of the notes that we received uh, two things. You obviously enjoy equestrian, which I'm assuming if, uh, you like riding horses. Uh, but it also says here that you love otters, which I found really kind of interesting. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so talk about first off, talk a little bit about the equestrian side of things, what you like to do there, and then give us a little explanation as why you, you love the otter so much. Well, um, for the equestrian, so I am an extremely animal lover. So I think to do some sports, you know, for me to exercise, uh, I want to do it with animal. Uh, I, the only two things I can think about with animal is either equestrian or um, um, sledding with dog in the snow. You know, the second option is mm-hmm. not always available. But for the horse, it's, it's always there. You know, you can find it in any city. So, so um, you know, that's kind of e- easier. Yeah, I, and then I, I the couldn't agree more. And for the author, you know, I love their little hands and, you know, how <laughs> cute they are. And then I just love the way they look, you know. I love the way they hold their food using their hand like a like a person. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're very interesting. I, I agree. And when I when I saw that in the notes, I thought I guarantee that's what she's gonna say because it's true. They're and they're very ingenious, you know, when it comes to, to cracking open the shells and, and stuff, they're uh, their seafood, they get a little rock and they put it on their belly and they, they you know, pound the shell on that rock in order to break it open and then they peel everything apart with their with their hands. So, yeah, I can understand that. Um, very, very interesting. Cindy, go ahead. Well, just side note, if you do really want to come up to Buffalo and sledding with a dog, you can, you can do that this winter. Come and visit me. <laughs> um, so what's what do you love best about playing golf? Um, just traveling, I guess, because I can see a lot of good places. And um, also to meet a lot of good friends, like even though we cannot hug each other at the same uh, at the moment. But um, I think those are the two best things I like. And what's the best part of your game? Um, well, uh for now, I will say my swing, because um, the, the, in the last week, my swing has been extremely friendly to me. <laughs> yeah, we all know it's not always that friendly. So when you say it's been extremely friendly to you, have you been, do you have a coach? Have you been working on your swing? Is there something you've been working on? Um, so my coach has always been Mr. Gregory Jamison at Lake Nona. He's the head pro at Lake Nona Country Club. And um, so I think we didn't really change much over the years, but um, he, he just wanted me to sharpen up my posture a little bit, and I tend to take my backswing too much back, and that can cause me to shut my club face down on the way down, you know, during the impact. 
So um, those are the two things that we've been keeping an eye on for over the years. It's not something new, but it just keeps coming back. So that's the things I'm working, still working at. And let me ask you another question. When you say you keep working on it for over a year, the same thing, how often would you go see your coach? So if I'm back at home, you know, at Lake Nona during the training, like during the lockdown, um, it depends. Sometimes two to three times a week, sometimes once a week. But minimal one time a week. Yes. Good. Good to know. Ted? So, Rajan, we had last week, we had um, Mike Nichols, the chief business officer uh, from the Symmetra Tour, was our guest last week. And he talked about the schedule for this year. Uh, they've narrowed it down, obviously, because of timing to uh, just 10 events remaining. One of the other things that he mentioned was that they were going to sort of freeze the, the status, if you will, uh, of the players uh, at their current level so that they wouldn't lose ground, obviously, because, you know, so much of the season had, had already been lost. Um, is that going to help you, do you think, number one? And what is going to be your game plan since a lot of the season has, has already, you've lost a lot of events and you're now down to, well, nine events now because you've just played in one. What's going to be your game plan for the rest of the season? How are you going to uh, sort of focus on and what are you going to focus on in order to finish out 2020? So um, because our status is going to stay the same for this year and next year, um, it's a little mm-hmm. bit disappointing because um, my original plan is to play good in Symmetra. So I will have, like, a better status than what I have now on my LPGA. Because currently I have a uh, dual membership, which means I have uh, full status on both. But my mm-hmm. – uh, uh, list on LPGA is going to be much, much worse than 2019. So uh, it's a little bit disappointing. I cannot improve my status. But at the same time, I really understand the decision they made mm. because it's not – they right. can protect the LPGA field, for, you know, in the first priority. You know, with less events, it's, gonna, it's a, you know, a little bit unfair if they also give give us 10 cards. So I really yeah. understand the situation. But And for me personally right now, I will just play because um, the status doesn't matter anymore. I'm going to play as much LPGA as I can instead of before I'm trying to focus on the Symmetra, you know, to get the 10 cards. Now I'm going to play as many LPGA as I can to prepare for the future and uh, mm-hmm. if I cannot get in some of the events, then I'll play the Symmetra on the same week. Right. Well, and it gives you <clears> – you're exactly right in your analogy. And, and, you know, I think he explained that last week that, you know, obviously there's going to be some, some pros and cons to it. And I think it was a smart decision overall for them to, to do that because, you know, it is really kind of unfair for the players to, um, uh, you know, to – uh, lose ground, if you will, and I understand about uh, as you mentioned about protecting the LPGA uh, current status. So, uh, you know, something has to be done. It's an unfortunate thing for everybody around, but it gives I think everybody a little bit of breathing room as well to be able to get out there and do what they need to do and at least finish strong in 2020. Uh, it's obviously been a very difficult season for everybody all the way around. Um, so you're you're getting ready for an event this week, an LPGA event uh, this week. Uh, what's your schedule look like over the next month? 
So um, I will be playing the Toledo, the both Toledo, the drywall and the marathon. And then uh, I'm not going to Europe for the LPGA. So I'm actually going to Arizona to play the Symmetra. Uh, and then also I believe for the IOA championship at Morongo, California. But because, you know, once again, my feet, I don't know how far it can take me until it's been too much. Um because last week I can feel the pain. I really pushed myself through it, and I I know how, you know how much I can handle. I will uh, keep going until I feels like it's getting worse. So, with that being in mind, I cannot give like an exact answer when is my right. you know last event of the season. Because I'm just gonna keep going and see what's gonna happen. Right. Exactly. Um, and, and that's smart. You know, you've got to kind of feel your way around, literally around the golf course to see how things are going to go. And you don't want to do any permanent damage to your foot because then that, you know, brings in a whole different uh, other uh, uh, set of issues. But um, uh, but no, I think that's a very smart game plan on your part just to kind of, you know, prepare as best you can over the next few events and see how you feel. I mean, you you know, you, you did a, a great job. Again, congratulations on this past weekend. Uh, in Michigan, but um, yeah, you've got to be careful. And you've got to protect that foot because it can be very, uh, um, very bad. Obviously, if 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 it gets injured further or or gets aggravated further. But um, but, but uh, good luck for the rest of the season, and hopefully you'll win again, and we'll we'll have you back. Um, but if not, right. uh, the best of the best of the season. Cindy, any final thoughts or, or questions? No, just good luck to you. I hope you keep, uh, needless to say, playing and playing well, and I think you're not going to have to worry about it. we just got to keep that foot in shape. All right. Thank you, Ted and Cindy, so much, and always feel really nice to come back to the show. Love to talk with you guys, and uh, thank you for the good words, and I will try my best to make you guys proud again. Perfect. Go have some fun. All right. All right. Uh, have all right. a good day, have guys. Some, have some fun. Yeah, you too, Rajin. Thank All you. All right. Thank you. All right. That was uh, Rajin Liu, uh, the 2020 Symmetra Tours Firekeepers Casino Hotel champion, uh, won her fourth Symmetra Tour event. And Cindy, it sounds like she's she's got a pretty good game plan as long as her foot holds out the rest of the season. I think she's got a very promise. I mean, you know, when you think about it, coming back from a long layover like that and shooting, you know, two opening rounds of 66 each, um, that's not too shabby. Yeah, what do you think? Hi. Guess who's here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 What's happening to the rest of us, right? <laughs> maybe that, maybe right? that's what I need. Maybe I need to, uh, maybe we need a hiatus a little bit or something like that. And just, uh, We've had you know, that. come out. Uh, <laughs> there are no I reasons. know. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Never mind. We won't go there. Um, all right. So once again, uh, we are going to enter into the no BS zone. And uh, I've got uh, I've got ten, Cindy. I don't know if we're going to be able to get to them all, uh, but ten common problems that every golfer uh, makes, um, whether you're a beginner or or a seasoned player. Uh, of course, we know golf is one of the most mentally and physically challenging sports you can play. Um, but if you want to improve your game and lower your handicap uh, handicap, excuse me, you will need to identify um, your weaknesses and strive uh, to improve them. So. Um, First and foremost, I think your putting game. Uh, putting is probably part of the game that you need to concentrate on the most. Uh, probably 
uh, and again, depending on who you talk to, some may have less, some may have more, uh, at least 40 to 50% of your scoring happens certainly on the putting surface, if not around the putting surface. Talk a little bit about that, if you wouldn't mind, Cindy. Um, when you're working with players, um, you mentioned earlier to Rajin about uh, a college player uh, or an aspiring college player. Um, how important is it for them to focus on their putting? Like really important. It's funny because we've been doing this um, shoot 36 for um, the kids that we teach. And it's funny because I've offered it to adults too, but no, only one adult has ever even signed up for the program this summer. Um, so clearly they think they don't need it, which I don't believe. But anyway, um so we take them out and we start at 25 yards away from the hole and you have to shoot 36 for nine holes from 25 yards. And then you move back to 50 yards and then you move back to a hundred yards and then you move back to 150 yards. And we've got people that hit the green seven times out of nine holes and don't shoot 36 because it's the awareness of distance control. And Hitting it on the green is great, but if you can't get it close to the hole and not three-putt every hole, it, it's all for naught, if you will, right? So right. you absolutely have to know how to get the ball close to the hole. End of story. You have to. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but you know, you, you've talked about a, a really a great program that's out there, Operation 36, uh, which is really designed to do that. It's help, obviously, to help your overall game, um, but ultimately, it's it's really designed um, to help you be a better player and getting the ball onto the green. Um, and so many, you know, golfers out there struggle with that. You know, they they focus so much on the other end. You know, trying to get it off the tee, which certainly is important, uh, but getting it the ball on the green to give yourself a, an opportunity for birdie or or what have you, uh, even par in many cases, is, is optimal. One other area I just want to touch on putting, and this is something that a lot of people uh, really sort of miss the boat on, and that is reading the green. Um, a lot of amateur golfers particularly don't know how to read a green. Um, they don't understand what's even meant by that. They, they get up and they see their ball and they say, okay, there's the hole, and whether it's up or down or sideways, you know, it's kind of all they look at. But there's other factors involved as well. What are some of the other factors, do you think, Beyond reading the green? No, reading green. You know, as an example, you know, if the ball, we often hear the expression, the ball below the hole. Um, so we obviously know that it's, it's um, you know, a, a downhill or what have you, and you're now putting uphill. But there's other factors. You know, there's um, the, the, the grain, for instance, can affect your ball. And understanding the, the way the grain reads and the way the grain flows, if you will, on a putting surface um, can do that as well. So obviously that's an important factor is learning how to read the greens. Is that something that you work with your students a little bit to, to give them a better idea? Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Because if the ball, let's say you've got a huge right to left breaker and you're right-handed and you hit the ball too hard, it's like going around a curve and an exit too fast and missing the turn. You know, the car would just go straight and, and go off into the woods, right? 
So that's what happens mm-hmm. to the ball when you hit it too hard on a curve. So you need to be able to adapt and adjust to the speed of the green with how much it's going to break, and it depends on whether or not you're an aggressive putter or a lag putter, because if you hit it softer, it's going to break more. If you hit it harder, it's going to break less. So I'm more of a lag putter rather than an aggressive putter, because if I knock it, if I try to make the putt too much, I'm going to knock it mm-hmm. six feet by, and then I'm going to miss it coming back, and then I want to slap myself, right? So right. <laughs> I think you need, you know, it's better if you're a lag putter and you just try to get it close. Again, Alan will tell our students, just try to two-putt from everywhere and, and yep. instead of slamming it in. And so many of these parents will tell these kids, you know, oh, you got to make that, you got to make that. And then they slam it by, and then they three-putt. Well, now you're stupid, Right. So you don't have to make anything. You need to get it close. Right. And and obviously the closer you get, um, the better your chances are. And let me just uh, touch on a few things here as well uh, just to add into this. So, you know, reading green uh, is, is obviously one of the most basic parts of that is to notice the contours, as I was mentioning of the green, is the word I was looking for actually. Uh, so you need to practice and get used to how many breaks you need to uh, play in order to get – you know, the ball as close to the cup as possible, as you pointed out. Uh, and, and some different examples, just to, uh, again, why you, you need to understand about being able to read the green and understand this is why it's extremely important before any round, even more so than out there hitting shots and, you know, beating balls out in their driving range, is get on the putting green. And here's a couple of reasons why. As an example, downhill putts, you need to consider the fact that the ball will roll faster. Obviously, if it's going downhill, uh, just by, by virtue uh, of that is going downhill, if you will. So you, you want to make sure um, that you have a, a good line and you want to make sure that uh, to avoid going far beyond the hole. So you've got you've to be able to judge. So distance control, and that's where, as Cindy just pointed out, lag is really, really good because you're, 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 you're putting a longer distance. You're getting used to the, how the ball is going to travel. And if you're on a downhill putt, as I said, um, you're not going to have to hit it as hard. You just need to get the ball started uh, and again, if it's just a straight downhill putt, it's a little bit easier. Obviously, if there's a bit of a curve, you have to factor that as well. And obviously, the opposite for uphill putts, uh, you need to make sure that you get the ball to the hole. One of the cardinal sins, if you will, Cindy, is to leave uh, a, a, you know, a birdie or eagle putt short. And that often happens uh, with so many amateurs. Is they think, well, you know, it's only a five-foot putt. Uh, it's, it's pretty easy, and they leave it a foot short because they don't realize they've got to give it a little bit extra steam to get it up that hill. So um, that's a couple of things. You've got to make sure that you, you hit the putt, whether it's uphill, downhill, side hill, uh, whether there's a right-to-left break, left-to-right uh, break, what have you. Um, so that's why it's important to get out there. And understanding and being able to read the contours of the green and also reading the grain itself uh, and understanding which way the grain's running because that's going to affect how the ball, if, it's, if you're putting into the grain, it's going to put slower. If you're putting with the grain, it's going to be a little bit faster. So those are things um, that you can do, and uh, those are things I think that you need to to understand. Because again, putting probably represents about 50% uh, of your uh, scoring. So you want to make sure that your your prowess is more on the putting green as opposed to on the tee. Another area, Cindy, is chipping, and of course your wedges. Uh, it's important to be able to chip the ball close. Obviously, if you don't happen to hit the green on your second shot, 
you want to get it to you know the hole uh, close to the hole as possible. Sometimes you might have just hit short off the green, and now your chipping game, game takes over. Uh, and the reason why I mentioned wedges is because more often than not, regardless of what the distance might be, everybody tends to stick with their wedge. For some reason, they've been taught, well, I'm just going to pull up my, my pitching wedge, and I'm going to chip this ball. But if the pin's a little bit further away, that might not be the best selection. So you need to learn to be able to chip with a variety of clubs, uh, depending on the situation. And that's where you need to get out and practice and experiment. You want to add any thoughts to that? I, I think that you have to um, take the extra minute or two to decide what's my best play from this situation. Do I want to hit a high flop shot or do I want to run it? You know, you could use a pitching wedge or you could use a 60-degree wedge, and there's a huge difference there. How can you get it closest right. to the hole so that you can score better? So I think people don't take the time to stop and evaluate the situation, right, to make a better decision. Mm-hmm. And I think that that really makes a difference. Well, and, and you know, there's even been situations. I've played at courses where the greens are very, very large, and I've maybe hit it to uh, the wrong side uh, off the green and the, the pin is cut way on the other side, I might have 60, 70 feet. Um, and depending on how the pin is situated, hitting a, a flop shot all the way over may not be the best option for me. So sometimes I might even take my 9-iron uh, or even an 8-iron and chip it. Because I want to get the ball rolling like a putt. Because the, the more it's on the ground, once it hits the green, the more it's on the ground, the better it's going to be. You know, obviously, there's some situations where you've got lots of undulations in the green and it slopes from you know, right to left, left to right before it even gets there. And that takes a little bit more skill. So sometimes you might want to flop it over some of those undulations in order to give yourself a better chance. But you, you've got to get out there and experiment. And that's a, a big mistake that a lot of uh, particularly amateurs and even some better players sometimes still make is they, they define it. You know, you've got 14 clubs in the bag, so don't just stick to one or two experiment a little bit, get out there. If you've got a longer chip shot, try hitting some of your, your less lofted clubs like a nine iron or even an eight iron and see the results that you get. Um, and, and again, obviously you're going to use uh, wedges in there as well for some of the shorter shots because you want to get it up more, and roll less in, in some cases like that. But you've got to get out there and experiment because, again, if, you, if your second shot, as an example, say on a, a par four, doesn't quite hit the, the, the mark on the green, now you've got to chip it. So now you're hitting three, uh, which is essentially your, your birdie shot or birdie attempt. And if you can't get it close to the hole, then you run the risk of not even making par. So you want to make sure that you really focus on not only on your putting, as we mentioned, but also on your chipping. And, again, don't just – think you have to dial it in with your wedge every time experiment a little bit with some of the other clubs uh another area uh, i know we've talked about this before is uh what happens when you're in the bunker uh, and we'll talk about here for the most part uh, greenside bunkers there's a couple of different options again it's very similar to what i just talked about with chipping some greenside bunkers the pin might be cut very very close on the green and you have got to stop it quick so uh, again there's there's even though you're essentially swinging for the most part the same there is a little bit of an adjustment for shorter bunker shots cindy uh i tend to you may differ from this i tend to have more what i call a v-shaped 
uh, approach. So in other words, I'm picking the club up a little bit more abruptly in my backswing. I still might swing relatively the same distance back, but I'm picking it up because I want to dig down and I want to get the ball to pop up uh, a little bit higher so that it'll stop sooner because, it's, again, if the pin's cut short. If it's a little bit longer bunker shot, again, if that pin's cut on the far side of the green and I've got more distance to carry, it's going to resemble more of a U-shape. So it's going to be a little bit flatter. It's going to be a little bit uh, maybe even longer backswing and not quite as steep in the backswing so that the ball's going to come out fly and it's going to actually get some roll. What are your thoughts on that? I totally agree. Totally agree. Wow. Perfect. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got. I got to write I this one yeah. down, Cindy. I don't think we've actually. I don't think we've actually ever 100% agreed on everything. But no, I'm kidding. But you know, the thing is, these are areas that people lose so many strokes uh, on the golf course is because they don't stop and think, and they don't practice any of it. You know, Rajin talked about how she gets out there, and the one thing she doesn't want to do is, you know, she might assign 10 balls for every club, but some clubs she'll skip. Uh, if she's hitting it really well with the other one, she knows, okay, I don't necessarily, you know, how many times am I going to hit my five iron out there? So, you know, she doesn't have to hit 10 shots with her five iron, but maybe instead that practice time, she might get into the bunker and say, okay, I know I'm going to have some short bunker shots probably throughout my round. I might have some long bunker shots or my chip shots. I might have long or short or different scenarios. So she's going to practice and that's why she shoots 66, uh, her first two rounds. So you've got to get out there and you've got to practice that. Um, the next one, I'm trying to push through these here, so I apologize, um, is your driver game. Go long, if you will. Uh, hitting long drives can be a great asset to your game as long as the drives are giving you a chance to make a good second shot. Um, you want to be able to hit the ball as far as you can, uh, but you also want to be smart about it as well. Sometimes pulling the driver out off the tee uh, especially in a longer hole, may not be your best option. Talk about that, Cindy, um, about wanting to uh, to go long. We want extra distance always. Maybe give us some tips or some ideas on how we can do that and what sometimes might be the best option off the tee as opposed to pulling out your driver. Well, you only know yourself. You know, you're the one that knows yourself best. And it's funny, mm-hmm. um, our son was playing with a big shot last Saturday. And the big shot, like a real big shot, said, uh, why aren't you hitting driver here? Why do you have a two iron out? He said, well, it's all about the percentages. He said, what do you mean? He goes, what, you hit it so far. Why don't you just blambing out there? And he said, well, because I want to shoot a low score. And I know myself, and I know this hole, and driver is not the smart play from this position. So he says, I'm going to hit two iron because I want to hit in the fairway so I can shoot a lower score because I don't want to be in the woods or out of bounds. Mm -hmm. And so that's exactly what you have to do. The minute you feel or sense a little tension or an uh uh-oh or clenched butt cheeks, you know, and you start to tighten up (laughs) and you go, oh, I'm not sure about this, that's the time where you stop and say, when I feel that emotion, if you will, or sense that tightening, I need to stop and ask myself, is this the smartest play from this situation? And odds are it's not going to be. So maybe you hit um, an iron. I, I mean, i got to tell you, I've, I've got a young girl who plays college golf, and she's having trouble scoring. And I said, from the yardage that you're playing, for as long as you hit it, you could hit seven iron off the tee and break 80. 
She goes, you're probably right. I said, I, if I were you, I'd try that, you know? But sometimes the ego won't let you do that. So then there's other right. issues, right? But, yep. yeah, you got to be in play. you got to be in play. Yeah. You want to give yourself the best opportunity and the most chances to be able to advance the ball. There's, it makes – I don't know how many times, whether it be through a playing lesson or just playing with, with amateur partners, where I will see them – on a very, very narrow hole with lots of trouble, both left and right, and they will pull out their driver. And, you know, on the first hole, you, you're not sure how they're going to play, so you, you kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. But when you when you see them tee off a few holes and they're all over the place and they come to another one in the same scenario a little further, you know, down the down the line, and they're once again pulling out their driver, I'm just, you know, I've got my head in my hands and I'm just thinking to myself, please, God, tell me that this guy is not going to do this again. And sure enough, you know, he's sliced it off into the woods or he's pulled it into the pond um, because he's just not accurate. And I try to butt out. I try not unless I'm asked. Um, but I think to myself, why not take a, you know, a three wood or why not take a hybrid even off the tee? Um, something that's going to keep you in play because now you're looking at potentially hitting three off the tee. You've got to hit a provisional because you've maybe hit it out of bounds or what have you, and it just makes no sense. You've already put yourself behind the eight ball, so to speak. For me, you're exactly right with what you said. You've got to play your game. Forget about what the guys and the gals are doing on TV uh, or your playing partners. Play to your strengths and, and also understand your weaknesses, and I think you'll find much uh, a better, uh, enjoyable round. And then you work on some of those areas that you're struggling with, out on the practice tee, not when you're out playing on the golf course. Another one real quick, Cindy, um, again, I want to advance this along, is uh, I like to call get a grip. Um, And, you know, obviously we talk about how to grip the club, but more importantly, this is another area that many, many people, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this a thousand times out there with with players, uh, and they've got slick grips. They haven't changed their grip since, since Moses walked the earth. And it's just slick. They can't grip and they can't understand where the club head is turning. Um, I know there's no cardinal steadfast rules. A tour player, you're going to change them more often because you're playing more rounds. But give us a general idea. How often should we be changing our grips? Once a year. At least. Yeah. Yeah. If you're playing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah, Yeah. If you're playing a lot in the season, like a tour player, I know many tour players probably even change it more often than that. But for the recreational player, even if you're only playing 20 rounds a season, you need to change them every uh, at least once a season. The other option that you can do is if you take a little bit of soap and water and you get a um, like an SOS pad, do not scrub it to death, but just lightly rub it. What it'll do is it'll kind of rough up the surface a little bit and, of course, dry them off. And it'll give you a little bit of, of, of roughness to the grip, and that'll help you until you get them changed. But that's an area that I see a lot of amateur Cindy really struggle with, is they're playing with these old grips that, they, again, they've had since the, the second coming, or the first coming, rather, and they just can't understand why they're not hitting, hitting the ball. Um, another one is, Cindy, is play the course. And what I mean by that is you want to hit shots that will give you, as I mentioned, the chance to hit the clubs that you uh, succeed with most. So 
if you can hit a, a great seven iron but struggle to hit a solid wedge, it might be okay to lay up to your seven iron distance so that you can make your next shot there. So you want to play to your strengths and be prepared to handle adversity if it happens to strike. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. It's all about the course. It's you, the club, the ball, and the course. That's it. You are your only opponent. So you have to learn if people would stop having an ego trip and want to hit it really, really far and learn how to play the percentages, everything would change. Everything would change. I guarantee it. Yep. You would score so much better. And, again, the reason I know this is because I have the tendency to be the, oh, let's just kill it person, right? And I married a guy right. who's, you know, second purest ball striker Dave Powell's ever tested. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, where are you going? Why are you doing that? I'm like, well, what do you mean? You know, again, so I wouldn't have thought that way either. But now that I'm so smart, right, you know, you just have God bless you, Alan. wisdom. <laughs> God, God bless you, Alan. Thank you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but you it, gotta it's stop true, and though. say, what am I doing? Yeah. And and, and and this falls nicely into to the next uh one here is when you're in trouble. Uh we're all gonna find ourselves I, even the best players in the world are occasionally gonna find themselves in some sort of a precarious uh situation. You wanna play safely. Especially as a new golfer, you can't expect to hit the shots that you see, you know, the pros playing, uh, you know, Sunday afternoon. You need to play and stay in your game. And you should always consider the possibility of playing uh, the ball in any direction. So, you know, for example, sometimes if you hit it over and there's a, you know, a clump of trees or a big tree in front of you uh, with the green on the other side, um, you know, don't pull out a club that you think is going to hit the hero shot and try to go over the tree. Play it out into the fairway, even if you've got to go sideways, just to keep it in play. Yes, it's not going to advance the ball maybe as much as you would like, but you know as well as I do, Cindy, that players will try to, to do some sort of a hero shot that they've seen somebody do on TV and say, well, I'm going to try that, and they hit it and it clunks a few times in the trees and drops in behind. Now they're stuck with a really difficult shot, and more often than not, they don't know how to play out of that situation, or they get clumped in behind a root, and they've either, you know, got to take an unplayable or uh, some other thing, or they try to again do a hero shot and end up thumping their their iron into to the back of that root and, you know, shattering a few bones in the wrist. So, uh, when you're in trouble, Cindy, what's the best route? What's the best cause of action? Well, again, it's it's the percentage. You know, do you want to just get out, or, you know, are you going to try to take a risk and go for it? That's the question. And what are the percentages of getting away right. away with it? You know, like if you feel like, oh, I can get it over this tree, no problem. So for me, if I've got a 50-50 chance of making it work, I'm going for it. Maybe even a 40% chance, depending on the situation I'm in. What if you're coming down the stretch and you want to win the tournament? And, yep. you know, second place means nothing to you. On the other hand, what if you have to make enough money to keep your card? Well, now, you know, bogey might be better than triple. So it right. all depends on the situation. Yeah. So, and and this, is where, yeah, this is where the – Play smarter. Yeah, yeah, you're right. This is where the mental part of the game comes in, is, is understanding realistically what to expect out on the golf course. If you're a more accomplished player, 
uh, and you're able to maneuver or work the ball, if you're able to hit it confidently, um, you know, with a with a, a good fade and and or draw, and you're confident, then you may want to be able to, to hit it around the tree uh, as opposed to going over, depending on what your sh- shot you're faced with. So there's always a lot of options, but you always want to play to your strength. You never want to play to your weakness. And a lot of players, unfortunately, amateur players, uh, do the latter. They play to their weakness. A lot of times they will take a shot that they know they're not very good at, but they figure that's the only option. And sometimes it's better to lose a stroke, uh, whether it be playing it out sideways or playing it shorter um, than what they need to in order to keep it out of trouble. Another one is, is going over water. You know, they hit a great tee shot, they're out there, and the next shot goes over, uh, you know, a lake or what have you, and they're not very comfortable. Um, you know, there might be an option. There might be a bailout area that they can hit to that will, again, it may not be the optimal shot, but if they're not confident, it's a lot better than, you know, hearing plop in the middle of the lake or the pond or what have you. Um, it's better to, to, you know, plan out your shot. So this is why it's important, uh, and this goes to what I was talking about very early on, uh, and you can touch on a little bit for those that maybe didn't tune in the, in the past episodes uh, about Operation 36, why this is a great program for really helping you to hone in your skills. Talk a little bit about what, what's involved with the program and what it's about. What is Operation 36? Well, they're trying to help people learn how to score because they assume that if someone can shoot 54 or break 55 or 50 for nine holes, that they're going to continue playing golf and keep wanting to pursue, you know, their potential with golf. So they've created a program where it includes golf lessons. So we have four group lessons, and then we have two playing opportunities. And we do it once a month. And, you know, the group lessons are help you to skip for skill acquisition. Can I hit the ball? Can I hit the ball where I want it to go? Can I hit the right shot and uh, get it airborne? And then putting so that you start from 25 yards away and you have to shoot 36. So we've created a spreadsheet, a Google sheet, and and we spoke about this before, and people have to, you know, mark, did I hit the green? How many putts did I have? Was I right, left, long, short? Where did the ball go? So we've got kids up to 150 yards that have to shoot 36 for nine holes. So when you're 150 yards, you know, depends on how old you are. I got a seven-year-old that just passed a 50-yarder the other day with her dad. She had to do a makeup, and I said, you know what, if I were you, I'd go back out there with her five hybrid and see if she can hit the five hybrid 100 yards because that's the next goal. And so they stayed out there and practiced. Well, she's only seven, you know, so hitting a five hybrid 100 yards is a pretty good task, right? Yeah. So it it really helps you break it up. And then what we do is we say, now, if you added nine to what you just shot, okay, Mm. so I was four under – for 100 yards because I played with them the other day. Okay, so that's 21. Yep. Right? Yep. So if I add nine to that, boy, that was good, right? Or yep. four under 22. Right. So add nine to that, that, that's really good. Like, holy cow. So that, but you're always not going to be 100 yards from the hole after your tee shot, Right. But that's what we kind right. of say. If you want to get a ballpark number, if you shoot 36 and then you add nine to that, you'd play bogey golf, which would be 45. Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah, and, and, and 
Yeah, and, no, it's a, that's a great analogy. And you know, the idea is, as Regine talked about uh, earlier in, in the show, you want to go out there and you want to practice with a purpose. There's no point in going and just um, you know hitting ball after ball after ball and not really formulating a game plan. So if you're playing on a course that you're familiar with, you know where a lot of the trouble is and you know what trouble you often get into. So those are the types of shots that you want to work on. Um, but you also want to focus on, okay, what can I do differently? If I'm hitting that, you know, on, on that par four, you know, 13th hole, whatever it is, and I'm always hitting it into that, that bunker, what can I do to avoid hitting it in that bunker? So instead of pulling up my driver off the tee, that's nine times out of 10 is going to put me over in that area. I'm going to dial it back a little bit. Maybe I'm going to hit a three wood. Maybe I'm going to hit a hybrid, uh, a hybrid. I may not hit it quite as far, but I'm going to keep it in play. And I'm likely going to score better than if I'm hitting a shot that is challenging to me. So you have to play smart. And when you're out there in the practice tee, don't just sit there and hit balls. You can warm up with a few balls and, and go through the different clubs. But ultimately, you want to practice with a purpose and understand if, you, if it's a course you've never played before, then practice areas of your game that you know you're strong in, but also where you're weak in. So that when you get out there and you're faced with whatever challenge, you're prepared for it. And you're going to find you're going to have a much more successful round. That's the best way to do it. Yep. And, you know, don't be afraid to play safe. Because sometimes playing safe is the smart rule and, uh, and the smart way. And that's, I'm sure, what Alan has been teaching you for, for the last many years. Is Come on, Cindy, play safe. <laughs> right? Yes, he has. <laughs> <laughs> He should know. All right. We want to thank everybody for joining us. Again, we want to thank, uh, thank uh, our very special guest, uh, Ray Jin Liu, uh, this past weekend's winner of the 2020 uh, Firekeepers Casino uh, Hotel Championship up in Michigan. Congratulations again, Ray Jin, on a successful win. And uh, thanks for sticking around and listening to another episode of the No BS Zone. We're going to be back again next week with another winner uh, from the Symmetra Tour and uh, another special guest uh, this time to follow. Um, Thanks for joining us, everybody. Thank you, Cindy. God bless, and we'll see you next time on the Women of Golf. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening this morning to the Women of Golf show. Tune in live each week by visiting blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, Talk Stream Live, and of course Spotify. If you can't join us live, check out our on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts. To get updates for future shows and upcoming guests, you can follow us on Facebook at Women of Golf. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO and Cindy at Cindy Miller Golf. Please remember to join us next week on the Women of Golf Show. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.